We continue in our series on the Gospel of Mark. We're at chapter 12, verses 35 through 44. You can turn in your own Bibles there or read behind me. Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 44. And Jesus, and as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the Son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Father, we come to you this morning. We ask that you would... Uh, by your Holy Spirit, take this word and plant it into our hearts uh, that you would change our hearts, that you would change our minds, uh, that we might benefit, that we might be blessed greatly, and that you might receive glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some of you are old enough to remember, and some maybe have seen it in syndication, but there was a 1970s television show, The Six Million Dollar Man. Six Million Dollar Man was about Steve Austin. He was a NASA test pilot and had a catastrophic accident where he almost died. And at the beginning of the show, every week it would be the same. It would say this, Steve Austin, astronaut, a man barely alive. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. We have the capability to build the world's first bionic man. Steve Austin will be that man, better than he was before, better, stronger, faster, the $6 million man. That's how every week it started out that way, and he was. He was better, he was faster, he was stronger, he could jump higher, he could do all kinds of superhuman things. The bionic man, Steve Austin, received this upgrade. And today we're going to find out that we need, desperately need, an upgrade Um, Now, Steve Austin was almost dead, but the Bible says that we're actually in worse shape than he, that we're actually dead in our sins and our trespasses, and that we need a massive upgrade. And we're going to look today in two ways that we need an upgrade. We need a head upgrade, and we need a heart upgrade. So let's go ahead and look at the first. We need to receive a head upgrade. Now, this has primarily to how we deal with Jesus. We, you'll recall the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at various um, uh, elements of society, people that were opposed to Jesus, people who were sparring with Jesus, people who were testing Jesus, people who were skeptical about Jesus, people who are trying to trap Jesus, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees. 
And uh, Jesus here today uh, responds uh, to another in that group, the scribes. And so he is talking about, again, how to think regarding himself. Now, the upgrade that we need is not just a little life hack. You know, there's all kinds of those online. People come and they have their opinions, don't they? You just go online, social media, television, radio. I'm reminded again, back to the 70s, a song, sign, sign, everywhere there's sign, blocking out the scenery, breaking my mind, do this, don't do that, can't you read the sign? And this week I was scrolling through Instagram, and in Instagram, first there was a psychologist that pontificated on all that you needed to do. This, you do this, your life will be good. And then there was a swami, for lack of a better term, some Eastern mystic. If you do this, you'll wake up in the morning and you'll feel so much more refreshed. And then there's a 20-something person and a 30-something person and a 40-something person, all speaking with utter confidence that their opinions mattered. And that if you followed them, you would follow these life hacks and your life would be a little better. Or again, another 70s song by Dan Fogelberg. There is no Eden or heavenly gates that you're going to make it to someday. All of the answers you seek can be found in dreams that you dream all along the way. Right? And he's not alone. That's a very current theme. You don't need these swamis, the psychologists, the 20, 30, 40 something. You just need yourself. Just, just listen to your heart and dream your dreams. Unapologetically, Jesus says something different, that there is another way. Jesus said of himself, I am the way and the truth. This isn't just a matter of a little life hack that will kind of improve your life a little bit. It doesn't really matter whether it's true or not. If you just apply the psychology to your life, you'll be a little bit happier. No, what we're talking about is truth. What is the truth? What is reality? And how does Jesus Christ fit into that reality? So come to Jesus for your head upgrade. Now, the the next couple of things we're going to look at that Jesus speaks of are things that are really um, a little bit of review. But let's go ahead and do that. He brings them up again. Jesus is the Christ. Mark chapter 12, 35. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David. Now, before we turn to, the, turn to this term Christ, who are the scribes? Again, we, we covered this at the very beginning. The scribes were the experts in the law. The Old Testament law, the interpretation of the law, the regulations, they were the official interpreters of the Old Testament. The scribes were part of this group uh, that would, in time, Try Jesus. They were part of the council uh, that would condemn Jesus to death. At the very beginning, the very first book, the very first verse of the book of Mark says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Mark 8, 29. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Mark 9, 41, for truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. And as we look forward to the trial of Jesus Christ coming in Mark 14, uh, this is 
the words of Christ at that time, but he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the blessed, uh, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with clouds of heaven. Now, you'll recall that the common conception of who the Christ was at this time, the Christ, the Messiah, would be this nationalistic leader that would defeat militarily and politically the enemies of Israel. And Israel would be the top of the heap in terms of the nations. That was their concept of who the Christ was. And we know more in our common, even even people outside the church will know Christians believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, who would save us from our sins. Jesus came to die. He came As he said, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's who the Christ was, the Messiah, the one who would come and live the life that you could not live, that perfect life, and die in your place and take the punishment that you deserve on the cross. That those who believe in Messiah, in Christ, would receive forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. That's the Christ. And he would be the Savior of the nations as well as judge the nations. The Bible speaks of the Christ judging the nations and the Christ saving the nations. That is, there will be people from every tongue, tribe, nation who know and believe, who trust in Messiah, who trust in the Christ. Jesus is David's son. Mark chapter 12, verse 35, and Jesus taught them in the temple, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Now, he's going to sort of spar with the logic of the scribes here, but he is not denying that he is the son or the descendant of David. We've seen this earlier. He is the promised one. He is the promised descendant of David. In Mark 10, 47 and 48, blind Bartimaeus began to cry out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus did not rebuke him, but healed him for his faith. And when he came into Jerusalem, they shouted out to him, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, Hosanna in the highest. And you recall that in the Old Testament, God made a covenant with David. Now, what's a covenant? Uh, one, uh, one pastor and theologian says a covenant is a bond in blood sovereignly administered. In this case, it was administered. It was given by none other than God as ultimate sovereign. To David, covenant is about promises, and promises in the context of a relationship created. And so God made this covenant promise relationship with David And by extension, the people of Israel. And he said, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Second Samuel 7, 16, right? Established forever. He'll have an eternal dynasty. We look forward in the book of Revelation to what's going to happen in Revelation 11, 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and evermore. Amen. Jesus is the Christ, 
the son of David. Psalm 2.6 speaks prophetically. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Now, what does that have to do with you and me? Well, the Bible says that those who have faith in Christ are incorporated into the covenants that God made with his people. It's not just applicable to ethnic Israel, but to all who have faith in Messiah. Ephesians chapter 2.12, the Apostle Paul says this, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. That would include the covenant to David, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If you believe in Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, if you in your thinking understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and that Jesus is the son of David, the prophesied son of David, the coming king, uh, the ruler, the king of kings, If you place your faith in him, you are incorporated into the covenant promises given to God's people. You are part of God's people. You're no longer strangers and aliens. And so he is your king. Jesus is king of everybody, but you benefit from Jesus being your king. He is your king. You love him. He is your Messiah. And so there's more going on than meets the eye. The world is more than asteroids. The world is more than nuclear threats and global warming. We live in a crazy world, but there's a goal, there's a terminus, there's a future, there's a fulfillment. You know, within, what, since July, we looked, there have been three prime ministers in England. It doesn't matter to God. He is still sovereign. Jesus is still king. Doesn't matter whether kings, queens, other people, presidents make their decisions. It doesn't matter what challenges you're enduring right now in your life. This will all come to a conclusion. How do you think about this world? Is it simply materialistic like John Lennon? Imagine above you, there's no heaven below you. Uh, Below you, let me see, what did John? No hell beneath us, above us only sky, right? Is that it? We just live in this materialistic world? No. The reality is much, much better and much, much more. You see, Jesus is more than a physical descendant of David. The Apostle Paul said this about him in Romans chapter 1, verse 3, about his physical descent concerning the son who was descended from David according to the flesh. And then he goes on to say, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit. Jesus is both man, he is both the descendant of David, and he is God. He is the eternal Son. And so Jesus makes this statement, how can the scribes say that that Christ is the Son of David? David himself in in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? 
And the great throng heard him gladly. You understand his logic. This was a quote from the Psalms, uh, Psalm 110. Uh, David is speaking under the um, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, the Lord God said to my Lord, David is saying this. He said what? He said, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. That was said to David's Lord. Psalm 110.5 goes on to say, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of wrath. He will come again, we say, to judge the living and the dead, Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of David. He is the descendant of David, but he is the Lord of David. He is great David's greater son, infinitely greater as God. All of the answers you seek can be found in dreams that you dream all along the way. Is there some place in the universe that you have not visited? Is there something that you don't know in this infinite world? Well, there is one who knows it all. Jesus Christ has been there. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, all things were created by him and for him. He knows. He's got it figured out. He is the creator of the vast, unfathomable universe. He is the truth. And so do you call him Lord? Do you call him King? Do you call him Messiah? You look at other people around you for hope, for direction, for leadership. And that's not all wrong. God gives us leaders. But is Jesus Christ your eternal King? Is he your Savior? Do you believe it? Do you receive it? Will you follow him? And so if so, you'll have a head upgrade, and we also need a heart upgrade. We need to receive a heart upgrade. When I was a younger minister, I was at another church as an assistant pastor, and I went to our general assembly. Our general assembly is the the gathering of ministers annually and and, uh, ruling elders annually. It happened to take place in Colorado Springs. And so after it was over, I was there with, a, another, with an elder from our church in the southwest Florida area, central west Florida area. And, um, and so when we got to the airport, there was a mechanical problem with our plane. It was delayed, and we finally got on. And we, we went to Dallas. We were making a connecting flight to Tampa. And because of the delay, we missed our connecting flight in Tampa. And as we were pulling in, taxiing in, the, the uh, I think it was American Airlines, they said just go find a plane somewhere. We'll cover it. You know, we'll pay for it. And so there was this frantic, you know, running around Dallas airport trying to find a flight to Tampa. And so there was one available and it was at Delta. And so we waited in this very long line. We got up to the front and there was a, you know, got to the counter and I said, "Uh, do you have two tickets to Tampa? And uh, he said, well, no, we don't. And I said, I had this idea. I said, well, do you have any first-class tickets available? And he said, why, yes, we do. And I said, would the fine people over at American pay for those tickets? And he said, yes, they would. And I said, cha-ching. And then, hey, hey. <laughs> so, and I found out something. The people up there behind that curtain, they live differently. It is a different experience up there. And, uh, and upgrades are nice, right? We, you know, it was nice that we had an upgrade, but at, at least in terms of that particular day, we were either going to walk from Dallas to Tampa or we were going to get an upgrade and fly, okay? 
So we are in desperate need of a heart upgrade. It's not just a a nicety. Many things that are nice about it, but we absolutely need to have this heart upgrade. Mark chapter 12, verses, verses 38 through 40. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses for a pretense and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Now, the scribes, again, Jesus is beginning to turn his attention to his critique of the scribes. And he says of them, they they would wear these distinctive long shawls. And so everybody would know who they were as they went through the marketplace. Um, And as they went through the marketplace, um, everybody but the laborers in the market would be expected to stand in honor and deference for the scribes as they walked through. And the scribes, as they came to the synagogue, would uh, receive the great, uh, the best, the, the most honorable seats in the synagogue. As they would go to different banquets, they would receive the, the choice places in the banquet. And Jesus is saying they are focused on pretense and appearance. And even their prayers are done for that purpose as a pretense. Now, he last week talked a little bit about the Sadducees, and the Sadducees as a group were relatively wealthy. Not so in general with the scribes. The scribes did not, were not able to make a living from their um, teaching of the, the law. They weren't allowed to do that. And so in general, they were not particularly wealthy. They had you know, challenges uh, with finances uh, like many, many people of the day. And so that may be part of what's going on here. We don't know exactly the context of making widows, uh, robbing widows' houses and what's going on there. But in some way, in some way, shape, or form, they were taking advantage of widows uh, in their position. Isaiah chapter 10 verse 2 says they made widows their prey and robbed the fatherless. This was particularly heinous in the law itself. And so they sought honor, and they presented themselves as honorable, but they were actually dishonorable. And so there was pretense as opposed to reality. There was the pretense of a heart devoted to God, but in reality, their heart was devoted to self. They were seeking the reception of honor rather than humbling themselves. Uh, They were prayers in public, but they were slayers in private. They were devouring widows' homes. What's your heart like? Are you, what are you like in private? What are you like in public in terms of your devotion to God? Are you good at acting? Had a roommate in college, I remember he was talking about his girlfriend at another college, and she had a roommate, and they were having some roommate problems. And, um, and so over the course of a week or so, you know, I said, How did, how's it going with her roommate? And he said, well, they've, they have had this discussion and talk, and she, her roommate apologized and this and that. And I said, well, good. Is that, is that good? And he said, well, she doesn't know because her roommate was uh, in drama. Uh, she was an actor. And he, she said, I, I don't know. 
I mean, imagine if you had some kind of a friendship or relationship with Meryl Streep. I mean, would you ever know whether uh, she was being actually uh, honest or not? She's such a good actress. We need a heart upgrade. We need to go from pretending to have a heart for God to a genuine heart for God. And so that means, first of all, we need to just be honest. You know, the man said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, I love you, God. Help my lack of love. Yes, God, I do care about other people. Help me in my self-centeredness. We need a heart transformation. We need a heart upgrade. And one of the things that we see here is that money, in this particular instance, is, a, is an indicator of heart. And we can, we can uh, learn from this ourselves about how money helps us understand where our heart is for God. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. And he sat down opposite the treasury and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now is the point here that God sort of judges uh, your giving on the basis of some sort of algorithm? You know, depending on how much you have and how much you give depends on how much you actually give before God. No, I don't believe so. I believe that Jesus is simply making a comment about this woman's devotion to God and her heart uh, to God as evidenced by this uh, gift that she gave. When we were going through the process of raising funds through our Great Work uh, Capital Campaign, Generosity Initiative for the Rebuild, occasionally people would come up to me and say, well, Pastor, I, I just don't know if I should give because I just don't have much to give. They were looking at the, the enormity of the need and I would try to encourage them and say, that's not, God, God doesn't, uh, God looks at the heart, not on externals, that uh, you give what you can give um, to the Lord because of your devotion to him. It's not about how much we give. It's about a, an expression of our heart before God. Now, Jesus and his disciples, they would have been sitting at a bench observing what was going on. This was in the court of the women uh, where there were 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles that would receive the donations. I don't know that this is true. I'm assuming it wasn't in the court of men because the women weren't allowed in the court of men. And yeah, I guess you would want both men and women have, women have an opportunity to give, right? Um, but in any case, it was in the court of women. And uh, these trumpet-shaped receptacles. And so rich people brought in large sums of money. How exactly Jesus and the disciples knew that <clears throat> is not clear. Perhaps, you know, they didn't have dollar bills and hundred-dollar bills in that day uh, that sort of fluttered into that receptacle. It was probably large coins. If it was a large denomination. In any case, they saw this woman giving two small coins. <clears throat> Now, as a child, I've always wondered about this account. 
because different translations will say things like uh, the two small copper coins which make a penny, that's the ESV translation, or other translations say even less than a penny, a fraction of a penny. Other people, other translations will leave it more uh, literal. Um, So the in the ESV translation that we use, you'll notice there's a footnote there, if you've got that before you. And so the footnote says that basically the woman put in two lepta. Uh, two lepta is worth one quadrantes, or the Latin quandrons. Two quadrantes, or quandron, was worth one sixty-fourth of a denarius. A denarius was worth the standard daily pay of a day laborer. Guys, tracking with me, and uh, each coin that she put in the treasury was worth one twenty one one hundred twenty eighth of standard pay of a day laborer. So I took some time and added that up. So depending on how you define that in our society, that would be somewhere between one dollar twenty five and two dollars, um, which is more than a penny. And I, I went to Haiti when I was in college and worked there. And each society, uh, money uh, has a different um, value. In Haiti, I was told if you give a Haitian $20 and they've got a job, they'll stop working because that seems like such a vast amount of money. They just won the lottery, right? We don't think that way. So I think that this money meant something to her, right? You know, I was a kid. I was thinking, well, it's less than a penny. What, what does that mean? No, this was all she had. And she gave it up. Now, the closest that I personally have been to this was uh, years ago when I was traveling after college. I traveled the country for a year um, and uh, just would look for a place to work and started washing and waxing cars to make money. And I was traveling from San Diego to Seattle. And I got uh, I ran out of money in Grants Pass, Oregon. Now, that's not the car washing and waxing mecca of the country. You know, I was looking for places to wash and wax cars, couldn't do it. And finally, I was just stopping people at their house and say, could I rake your leaves for money and nothing? So I'm like, well, maybe I can make it to the next town. I had literally less than $3 worth of change. And so I went to the gas station and I put that money in my gas tank It was an act of faith, and I prayed, Lord, I'm putting all this in the gas tank. Moms, don't you just love this story? Don't you want this for your kids? And and so I did that, and I said, Lord, you know, get me to the next town, and let me have uh, work there. And so I started to get on the on-ramp, and I noticed an office building, and I pulled off, and I went over there, and I washed and waxed two cars, and I would have done more, but I ran out of daylight, and so the Lord provided. Now... Like the woman, that was an act of faith. That was an act of faith. But unlike the woman, there were a couple of other things that she had better. Number one, I saved a quarter. Why did I save a quarter? So I could call mom and dad collect if I needed to, right? There's no dummy. And, uh, and the other thing was she gave this as a donation to the Lord. This was an expression of her heart, her love, her care and concern um, to worship God. Man looks at the outside, God looks at the heart. And so this instruction was instruction for his disciples on her heart and her concern about God. It wasn't just uh, instruction about the the scribes. Uh, It wasn't just instruction about those that were against Jesus, who were opposed to Jesus, who were trying to catch Jesus. 
And he called his disciples to him and he said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live, live on. And let me just say, this isn't, a, uh, uh, this, this isn't a teaching against people that have money uh, or people who give money. Uh, we can give, we're stewards of whatever the Lord gives to us. But the question is, what have you truly sacrificed out of your devotion for God? It may not just be financially. And I know a number of you have sacrificed a lot because of your devotion for the Lord. Why is it that we do that? Why do we sacrifice for God? 2 Corinthians 8, 9 tells us, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Our, our Messiah, our King, our Christ, the Son of God, the Son of David, came to this earth. He had the vast riches of being the eternal Son of God, and he humbled himself. He took on a human body. And he lived for you and he died for you. He became impoverished for you. He took the punishment that you deserve so that you might be forgiven and elevated to the status of sons and daughters of God, beloved by him. So that you would receive forgiveness now and in eternity not face judgment, the judgment that will come when Christ returns. And instead, you're delighted in by God now. You receive the vast riches of his grace and of what it means to be a part of his kingdom now and forever. And so we live knowing that and it transforms our hearts as more and more and more we believe that. Scotty Smith, he's been here to one of our uh, Bible conferences years ago. Uh, He said this, life is a perpetual return to Jesus and the gospel. All other saviors are snake oil salesmen. All other gospels are graceless liars. All other hopes are empty nothings. All other kings are barking puppies. All other riches are fool's gold. And all other peace is an evaporating dew. We need a head firmly fixed on Jesus. He is the truth and the life. And we need a heart that knows what it means to receive his lavish grace. The fact that we will be delighted in forever by him, forgiven of our sins, accepted forever. That begins now and it lasts for eternity. We need a head and a heart upgrade. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. The truth that challenges us, that convicts us, that encourages us. I pray that you would be with those who have never at this point in their life had that heart and that head upgrade at all and that they might come to place their faith in the reality and the truth of Jesus Christ, to believe in him and to know what it means to have a transformed heart. And for the rest of us who have come to that point in our lives, we know, Father, we still need more and more and more that head upgrade and that heart upgrade that we might know Christ and that we might delight in him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we now.